Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, June 10th, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 266 featuring the Action Network's Matt Moore is powered by Casper. Go to casper.com slash Celtics and use the promo code Celtics for $50 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Here's the deal. It's been a little while. I've been out a couple of weeks. Adam Kaufman here with you on Celtics Beat. You're already aware, obviously. You've had Evan Valenti the last couple of shows. He's done a great job. That last one in particular with Mike Gorman continuing to make waves with the Kyrie Irving conversation. We are going to continue to build upon that here in this show today with Matt Moore from the Action Network as well as, of course, this Stephen A. Smith rumor or or statement of fact, maybe, I don't know, we'll see, that he put out there regarding LeBron James taking a free agent meeting or having a conversation with the Boston Celtics at some point over the summer. Very interesting. It's a dialogue we could do an entire show on, and maybe at some point we will as we get a little closer to free agency, but today we are going to hit on it. We just won't spend the whole show on it because it's my first offseason show. There are a lot of different things that I want to get to as it concerns the the future of this team, the whole roster, big picture topics and conversations that need to be identified, and of course the draft, which is a few short weeks away. So again, lots I want to cover after uh, a couple week absence. That I'm, I'm not terribly well rested. The reason I was out, if you're curious, paternity leave. I had a baby. Yay me! I know. All right, but let's get to the Celtics. No monologue. Not beyond this. Other than to say, as I always do, this show we're back on Sundays all throughout the off season. So your regularly scheduled program when you're used to checking things out and getting your download. I will always tweet out the show at Adam M. Kaufman, but the best thing you should do, subscribe to Celtics Beat on iTunes. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I can't say it enough. Leave us ratings, leave us comments. We appreciate it. On to the show. Let's get right to it because there's so much to cover. And as you can see, it's a long one. Spring and Matt Moore from the Action Network covers the NBA. Matt, sometimes I feel like I tweet a lot and then, you know, I, I look at your feed and I feel like I'm doing a disservice to my followers or maybe a favor depending on perspective. But how do you have time to tweet so frequently? We're talking about in excess of 360,000 tweets between your accounts. You know, I, honestly, I use it as a notebook and I use it as kind of like an open source uh, check on my work. So if I have an idea that's popping in my head, then I'll put it out there. And then I wind up learning a lot and getting different perspectives on stuff. I want to test my perspectives more than anything. So if I think, you know, uh, I think that this this 
aspect of the Cavs defense is really bad. You put it out there, and sometimes I'll get, well, you got to remember that Corver's dealing with a, an injury here, or, well, yeah, they've been doing that this year, but they stopped doing it here, or they haven't done that as much lately. And it, and it helps me get more information. That's the real tangible value of it is um, I'm on Twitter a lot because I think it helps you know my brand and it helps uh, with my exposure and helps get the work that I do at Action Network coverage. It's fun. Um, but there's also a real, to me, actual helpful aspect of it for improving the way that I think about the game, which is what I'm doing. And, and honestly, it's just that my my brain's always thought pretty fast, so I have the kind of capacity to be able to be on Twitter and do these things and still be doing other things as well. Does that mean you actually have time to go back and read all your mentions too? Because your notifications must be crazy. Uh, sometimes, you know, they can be. Like last night, I just had to ask a question about. Um, uh, I asked a question about, uh, you know, LeBron and what would it be like if he went to L.A. because, you know, the, the Lakers fans love Kobe Bryant. And so mm-hmm. he'd always be dealing with kind of that Kobe shadow. And he would never, like, they would be constantly comparing him to what Kobe accomplished. And then my engines went crazy because everyone wants to talk <laughs> about LeBron. And I made a point last night to respond to everybody and kind of get there. And it can get overwhelming, but part of it also is that, you know, you get to you get to pick and choose. Like you get to choose who you interact with and and who you want to um, to be in a conversation with. And I do try and be accessible because I I just don't think that I'm above you know responding to readers. If they're going to sure. take the time to read my stuff, then I want to be able to um, let them know that I appreciate that and and that you know and and get back to them if they have a question for me. All right, let's get down to business here. Celtics, they had an excellent season. We know that. There are rumblings that Danny Ainge wants to re-sign Marcus Smart, keep Terry Rozier, get back a healthy Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, and then basically run it back next year to chase a championship with this group. Would that be the right approach? I think so. I mean, I think a lot of this comes down to I very rarely trust the rumors when it comes to Ainge uh, because (laughs) there tends to be this perception. Like last year it was, you know, Danny Ainge loves his team. He loves it. He just he loves what they accomplished. <laughs> Two weeks later, uh, Isaiah Thomas has been traded. Avery Bradley's gone. Like Avery Bradley, I think is, is always the test for was the the final test for me of you know Ainge is going to do whatever he thinks is best to pursue a title. Right. Um, I had heard at the deadline last year from a source that's close to the players in that in, in that locker room. This is in 2000, 2006, 17, 2017 All Star. Um, that Ainge had come to all the major players on that team, all of them, and said, look, you know, I love the team. I appreciate what you guys are doing. We're playing great. But you have to know going into the deadline, if I can improve the team, I will. And that was everybody. Everybody on that team was told hmm. that. So, you know, and, and then uh, we, I remember talking about, well, I said, like, well, they're going to have to make a call on Bradley. Like, they can't keep Bradley and Smart long term. Uh, and someone told me reached out and said like you know Ainge just loves Bradley that's his guy like he just loves him like he's just got a real close relationship I don't think he's gonna move him yep he's gone because he's <laughs> Gordon Hayward so you know a lot of this is is what happens um when various players express interest and if Ainge thinks that he's got shot down the line at improving it but he can't have certain players on roster but if we're looking at it from a is it the right move my answer would be yes, because, look, Rozier obviously proved this year that he is the perfect backup point guard. He defends when he's not matched up on LeBron. Uh, he's able to set the offense and be a floor manager. He can shoot. 
when he's not playing LeBron. Uh, he can get to the rim. You know, smart obviously does all the smart things. Um, but at the same time, Marcus Smart was on the was on the market at the deadline. He wasn't moved because the offers weren't there. But uh, there's enough teams that have confirmed that that yeah, Marcus Smart was was on the market at the deadline that he could have gotten dealt. That doesn't mean he's not going to resign him in the summer. He could, but uh, I think that these things are very liquid, and Ainge is right for taking that approach of you know, see how the, the situation turns out. Because it's also a two-way street, you know. Smart and his agent may push really hard uh, to, to try and generate another offer. And if a team makes a swing that's more than what Angel wants to spend, he's not going to keep him. He does have restricted free agency rights. But if Smart gets an, the offer that he wants, which is tough in free agency, but not always, then there's a possibility he could be gone. Do I think that running it back is the right move, though? Yeah, because I think when you look at what they accomplished, this team is really well set up to make a run next year. Well, I want to get into some of those guys specifically. We can do that in a second. But just because, I mean, you think that's the right move, but knowing Danny Ainge and all the things that you already said, is it the likelihood or what is the likelihood the Seas do return essentially the same roster? Or do you expect there to be, I don't know, uh, they don't have the cash they had the last couple of years, clearly, but could this be an offseason similar to what we've seen the last couple of years where there is a big splash? I don't necessarily think it'll be a big splash. I don't necessarily think that Rozier and Smart will both be back. Uh, and the reason I say that is just because I think it's going to get real expensive. You know, and, and Smart and Rozier are both going to generate big offers on the market. And uh, there are always, there's always factors that, that are involved here with it's not just the on-court play. It's, you know, how is Marcus Smart in the locker room if he's on a deal where he's just really unhappy with what went down. Like, how does that go? Like, these are the real-world kind of impacts of the stuff. Like, fans tend to look at it from uh, very, you know, fantasy basketball type approaches. Like, oh, well, he, he can't get, you know, you got to free and right, so you just choke the market. And, well, you do that, and there's a cost, which it means that that guy is not going to, may not play as hard for you, and that guy may be miserable, and that guy may, may make those around him miserable because you basically took away what he thought was his fair market value. Um so there are impacts here that have to be considered. I wind up thinking that probably it'll be Smart or Rozier. If you told me that Smart and Rozier are both back, but they re-signed Smart on a value deal, um, and Rozier is back as well, I wouldn't be shocked. I would not be surprised even. Like, all right, that makes sense. But I would, if you ask me what I think will probably happen, I think they're probably going to have to choose between Smart and Rozier. Well, so obviously there there are different ways to look at this. I've been saying for months, I mean, I think, you know, not to pat myself on the back, I feel like I've been on this particular angle before the conversation even really began several weeks or months ago. But I've been saying for a long time, I think the goal is to bring back Smart, to move Rozier while that value is high. And it is high. I mean, he's proven that he can start for a good team, that he has a great contract. He's only due, what, $3 million next year before he hits restricted. How much equity... Does that buy you in a trade, though? I mean, do, do, you th- do you think the Celtics are shopping him? Do you think that they're looking to actively do that? Or do they view him as maybe more of an insurance policy and would be inclined to bring him back even entering the final year because you don't know matter-of-factly what Kyrie Irving is going to be next year? Yeah, I think that's Kyrie's injury status is, I think, a big X factor here. That because he's had so many injury problem, problems in the past, you have to have kind of consideration for the fact that you know, Rozier provides you with plug-and-play, keep the, everything going if Irving's out for 10, 15 games or whatever. Um, there's a real value in that. And so, like, I'm not sure that Rozier's value on the market is going to be exceptional either. And the reason I say that is 
you know, point guard became the most valuable commodity for a couple of years because there were so many great players in that position. But now it's flooded. Like there are just everybody's pretty good on starting point guard. Now backup point guard, which is where Rozier fits in, mm-hmm. is really valuable. But you're never going to overspend for a backup point guard. So that's kind of the key issue here is you have to find a team that either wants to install him as their starter, and I think that's going to be tough, or you have to find a team that is looking to add him as a, as a reserve and is willing to overpay because they are so and they, they value that backup position. And I think, honestly, teams should because I think backup point guard is maybe the most undervalued position in the NBA because you need someone who can come in and run the second unit offense with high efficiency. Uh, but it's still a backup position, and so it's never going to generate the same kind of offer. So, you know, he'll be able to generate offers, I think, for Rozier, but will it be, will it be something that makes a team better overall, or is it just kind of a it, it manages the need of, you know, handling the cap situation, which these are real concerns because as much as Celtics' ownership has been great about being willing to spend, you know, you want to be cost-conscious to some degree, and those things play a factor as well. Well, the prevailing thought right now, because it's the logical one, especially given the other assets the Celtics have and and the fact that the Lakers pick didn't materialize this year and how good this upcoming draft is, there's been that speculation that the Celtics could use Rozier and another asset, maybe the Kings pick or whatever it may be, to trade up in the draft. Have you heard anything on that front? Um, I tend to think of, well, everything I've heard is, is a suspicion that that's probably smoke screening. Um, that that's probably other teams using the Celtics assets as like, yeah, no, they, we could, they, the Celtics might be involved to, to help us move up hmm. to try and gain value on their pick. Um, I don't necessarily see that being something that, that will wind up happening. I'm very suspicious of that going on. And, and Celtics Twitter has been very good about pointing out that um, usually when those things are floated, they almost never happen. Mm-hmm. When Age actually does a deal, it, it's usually not telegraphed like that. Um, so I've got a high level of suspicion towards stuff like that, especially with what teams are coming out. Now, the one that's interesting, I think, is, is the conversation about the Mavericks because Dallas keeps things close to the vest, too. So the question is, all right, well, if Dallas isn't leaking it and Boston's not leaking it, then who's leaking that? And that's where I think things get kind of curious about what, you know, what the conversation is there. Um, a lot of this comes down to, I think, uh, there's, the, the thought around the people I've talked to in the league is is that the Celtics aren't going to – they're not looking to be as aggressive as they were last year, that they're not actively going for some sort of big home run because they know how good they had this year and they're getting Hayward and, and Irving back and the chemistry. But there is kind of a let's roll it back. So I don't anticipate any sort of major moves. And, and the other thing is because they have Hayward and Horford and Irving – you know, there has to be some sort of consideration for the locker room makeup where you can't just add a ton of these young guys. They've got a bunch of young guys, and it's a good balance, but you have to keep some sort of eye on how many young dudes and how many rookies you're trying to integrate. Well, and on that Dallas situation, too, and look, people have fun with their photoshops on, on Twitter and all of that stuff, but to me, and I know nobody's untouchable, but to me, Jason Tatum's untouchable. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. I don't think Danny Ainge is even remotely considering that. Jalen Brown... Less so. He could move somewhere if we're actually talking about a Kawhi Leonard deal or something like that. But Jalen Brown is not going to move with uh, another couple assets just to move up into the top five or seven or whatever it may be in the draft. I mean, to me, that's that's so far-fetched. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't really make a lot. It doesn't make any sense there. Um, you know, it, the the only outlier there would be if it did happen. It, w- it would have to be a situation where Ainge and Dave Lewin, the head director of scouting, um, and assistant GM Mike Zarin, that they identified some kid in that top five where they're like, if we got him, it would be absolutely perfect, and it provides a transition into like the next generation. And the fact that like Tatum may change things too, right? Where or you have Brown, who's a really good wing, who can score and defend and does all these things really well. But now you have Tatum, who's a wing, <laughs> who can score and defend <laughs> and does all these things really well and does them a little bit better. And so now the question is, well, look, you know, if we can bring in – because this draft is big heavy at the top. So if they look at it – this is hypothetical. This is sure. not based off of, in, off of Intel. This is hypothetical. But they, let's say they look at Mo Bamba, and they've actually identified and said, you know, because Bamba was, is a guy that's training with Drew Hanlon, and Drew Hanlon works with Jason Tatum. <laughs> uh, and so if they, if they, if, if they look at the, the work that, that Tatum was able to showcase, which is Jason's individual talent, but Hanlon's the real gift is for polishing offensive game. And they look at Bamba and say, okay, we can get this guy with insane athleticism, with real rim protection capability, you know, unbelievable athleticism, and he's got this polished offensive game because he's working with Hanlon. That provides us a transition when Al Horford ages out. If we get him, we have a guy that we can pair both with Horford now in big lineups so that we don't have to worry about Aaron Baines, and we can transition to him in case we need to deal Horford. And if you want the long game on that, again, this is a hypothetical. If you were planning on making a run in Anthony Davis down the line, hypothetically, you would want a guy like Mo Bamba as either a trade chip or to be able to replace Horford if you were dealing for Davis. All right, so in the spirit of hypotheticals, let's continue to complete the circle then. What would it take if the Celtics were actually looking to jump all the way up from 27 to get into the top five to get a guy like Bamba? You know, honestly, I think what Brown's shown – you know, if they package together the Kings pick and Brown, or if they package the Grizzlies pick, their own pick, uh, and Brown, that's probably going to get them in range. Like, that I would, wouldn't I feel would, like an overpay to you? Um, Given what we've seen from Brown, obviously the there's always uncertainties in the draft at any point in time. Uh, my response would be it would not be an overpay for most teams. It would probably be an overpay for Danny Ainge. <laughs> Um, and, and that's kind of thing is is that's why I'm skeptical, right? Like Ainge doesn't overpay, he did, unless it's Kyrie Irving, right? right? Like he overpaid he overpaid for Kyrie Irving, and everything worked out great for him. But you know he doesn't overpay. He wins these trades pretty outright, and that's part that's part of the thing is you got to find somebody that's that's willing to do a bargain type deal. Um, and I, I don't know that any of the teams in that top five are likely to do that, which is why I'm kind of skeptical that any such deal is going to go down. Let's get back to Marcus Smart for a second, just because so much on Terry Rozier, if Danny Ainge is really looking at an either-or, if Smart's gone, that becomes much more of a priority to re-up Rozier a year from now or an extension sooner, whatever it is. What's Smart's market value as a restricted, do you think, and who's going to target him? What kind of money are we looking at? So the trick with Smart is he's in a situation where teams are going to know that the the Celtics – uh, don't have complete financial flexibility with him because they have so much money tied up in Horford and Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. And so, and they're going to have to pay Tatum and Brown down the line. So 
teams will know that. One of the things that happens with restricted free agency is when guys get left on the market like they have the last two years, and it's been brutal. But part of that's been you have to have a, a reasonable belief that there's no point in us making an offer because we're just tying up our cap sheet and they're going to keep them anyway. That's why so many of those guys wind up just kind of withering on the vine. Because Smart's in a situation where there's so much money tied up in other guys, there's probably an idea that you know he's gettable. So it depends on how hard the Celtics telegraph, we will match any offer. If they if they make that clear, which it's you know there are limits, right? But you also it's a no lose for the Celtics because if somebody comes in and is like, hey, we're going to offer Marcus Smart four years, sixty million, at fifteen per. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, well, <laughs> you know. That, that situation where you're like, hey, good for you for generating the offer. Like somebody overpaid for Marcus Smart and you let him go because, you know, that, that's just one where it's like, okay, well, we can't be paying $50 million for Smart. And Smart's probably not worth that on the open market. Um, it would take something like that where a team would have to really identify Smart as a guy that could make a tangible difference as a starter that they want to be like as a core building piece. And I cannot see that happening for a number of reasons. Um, it's not just the, his limited shooting capability. You know, it's the, it's stuff like the lacerated hand incident. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was a tough situation. Um, and, like, I personally, I get to where I'm like, look, people go through stuff in their personal life, and that happens. Like, <laughs> it was bad luck how he injured it, and people go through stuff in their personal life. But there was a sense from some people that, like, this is a sign that maybe you can't trust his decision-making as much as you need to. Um, I think it's unfair, given that he's a young guy still, but that there is kind of that perception around the league. So I wind up thinking that he's probably going to wind up getting less than um, – and this is – so part of this is based off of what I've seen happen to the market since 2016, right? There was such an overreaction last year, 2016, where restricted free agents just got nothing, nothing, zip. <laughs> they got, like, Jamichael Green is a stretch four – that shot 37% from three-point range uh, and is a pivotal multi-position defender. And the Grizzlies literally just did not find him and let him wither on the vine and wound up taking a two-year deal at, like, almost nothing for him. Um, like, that's how, how bad the restricted free agent market has gotten since 2016. So I have to believe that Smart's probably in line for, like, at most, if somebody was going to go, it'd be around 10. I'd have to think hmm. it's going to be more in the, in the mid-level range of eight. Um, like a four-year, thirty-two type of deal. Well, and if that happens, where it's the, guaranteed he's just, back. Yeah, that's just where the market's kind of gotten to. And if that's the best offer he can generate, he's probably coming back, right? Because you can you you'll take Marcus Smart at eight million eight days a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I've gone so far as to say on this show that I think you know four and forty-eight, the Celtics would be willing to match anyway. Whether there's a team that's out there that would offer it, that's another story. But so let's say that Smart comes back for whatever the money is. Rozier comes back because. Maybe they don't prioritize a trade, and, and the either-or isn't here yet. And so they do, as we kind of began with, ran it back. You know, we always talk about it with a team like the Warriors, and they've made it work to the to the nth degree, but there's one basketball. On this particular team, there are five, maybe seven true starters, nine guys capable of starting. Are there enough minutes to go around, or does somebody have to go? I think there are minutes to go around. I think one of the problems this is my concern and we're like, we're talking about problems for a team that's going to absolutely roll. Um, like I was talking about this on our podcast yesterday, the action network. I mentioned that I think that the Celtics over under next year 
for win totals should be 62 and a half. Hmm. And my co-host was like, whoa. And I was like, <laughs> look, you know, like they, they would have been a, probably a 55 plus one team if healthy this year. And they're getting Kyrie Irving back and Tatum and Brown are going to be better. Like based off of improvements and getting those two guys back, 60 plus wins seems likely to me. So we're, we're talking about very, like we're talking about good problems to have. We're talking about literally the Celtics have too many good players. Right. That's their, their problem. But I will say this. Um, I thought Brown really struggled the first half of the year. And I think a lot of that was when Kyrie was around and he had to do. So well, as we've watched these finals and these Eastern Conference finals, you notice how tight the Cavaliers, some guys get, because essentially every time LeBron passes to you, you have to do something good with it. Otherwise, you may not get the ball again. <laughs> well, there's a, there's, a, there's a same kind of effect with Kyrie where – if you know Brown in particular, if he doesn't do well with it, well, there are too many other good options because like Gordon Hayward's going to get his, and Kyrie's going to eat, and Horford needs a certain amount of touches, and now Tatum definitely has got to get the ball some. And so with Brown, he's a guy I worry about most about slipping kind of out. Now he, I think he's got the mentality to be like play defense, finish at the rim, be a spot up shooter, and do his role. But the stuff that he really excelled at this year was more on ball. Like that's what happened in the first and first round and, and really in the Eastern Conference Finals was he excelled when he had the ball in his hands and could create. So I think that there's some tension there with what's going to happen. And, and David Thorpe's talked a little bit about this, about how those young guys are not going to want to take a step back as much as it's like, well, you know, you're young and these are superstars. Like that's not how they think. They're about their career. They only sure. have so many years that so they're going to want to produce as much as possible. That said, you know, if Rozier or Smart are gone, then there's more of a capacity for Jalen to get the ball in those bench units and that can still work. But I do have some concern for what's going to happen with the team chemistry and how they're going to work, how they're going to make everything work, because it's a great problem to have, but they do have a lot of guys that deserve and need the ball at times to produce on their own. Well, so all of that in mind, the guy you didn't even mention, Marcus Morris. He's, to me, he is the best contract on this team among guys who are not on their rookie deals, and he's already expressed he doesn't necessarily know how he fits on this roster when healthy. I'm not one of those people that believes the Celtics are going to be looking to, you know, quote-unquote salary dump him. That's stupid. He makes $5 million. But they could look to move him, trade him to avoid any sort of concern. I mean, is there a problem, potentially, coming if he's coming off the bench full-time? I don't think there's necessarily a problem um, because I don't think Morris I think Morris wants his opportunities, but I don't think that he's in a position where he's going to cause a ruckus, right? Like mm-hmm. I think um, he, he and his brother had had a rough enough time in Phoenix um, and in, you know in Detroit and, and all over um, that they kind of understand what their position is and, and how to integrate, and that's kind of a characteristic of, of guys that come out of Kansas with Bell too. Um, they know how to how to kind of manage shifting roles, so I wouldn't be so much worried about that. Um, I don't think he's really necessary, but at five million dollars, he's not costly either. So that's the key thing with Morris is he's amongst the many luxuries the Celtics have. Marcus Morris is another luxury. Um, my bigger concern would be I don't think you're ever going to get the production out of him that you got this year. Just me personally, I don't. I don't think he's ever going to play as well as he did this year again, because I'm not told that Marcus Morris is a reliable shooter, is a dependable player, 
um, is a guy that can that can be all that good for you. And you know, we'll see kind of what happens. But at, at his price, there's no value. And you know, you're, he's not a problem. I think you have to deal with. I don't think he'll cause a ruckus. And I think this is where Stevens comes in. Like he's gotten everybody to where they're all willing to sacrifice. And so if you're like, you can't come in and be the guy that's disrupting things because you want to get yours because then like you're keenly aware of it. The problems with selfishness tend to pop up on teams where it's allowed and it's not allowed on the Celtics because of what Stevens and Ainge have built. And that's where the culture I think helps shield you a little bit from those kind of concerns. All right, we'll get back to Matt in just a second, but I want to tell you today's episode of Celtics Beat is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best sleep one night at a time. You spend one-third of your life sleeping. Why would you want to be uncomfortable? Casper products are designed with you in mind. Everything they make supports any type of body. Not sure what mattress is right for you? Well, it's okay. Start with the original Casper. With over 20,000 reviews, it is quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Casper is equipped with multiple supportive memory foams, and it regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And Casper sells more than mattresses, by the way. They also sell sheets and pillows to ensure a better overall sleep experience. And they do it all at an affordable price because they sell directly to you. You can be sure your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. If you don't like it, no sweat. Free shipping and returns to customers in the U.S. and Canada. What are you waiting for? Get $50 off select mattresses by going to casper.com slash Celtics and using the promo code Celtics at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get back to Matt. One of the big stories for the Celtics recently, at least as it comes to write-ups and talk shows and all that, Celts TV voice Mike Gorman, he's received a lot of attention for an interview he actually did on this very podcast. Most assume that Irving is a lot to be back in Boston next year and beyond, but Gorman actually said he, he doesn't believe that Irving's long-term future in green is etched in stone. Do you? I was I was intrigued by that because I think you know, Mike's going to know more about that team than, than I will being around him as much as he is. Sure. Um, I think a lot of it is we can't really pretend to understand Kyrie Irving. And that's that's something that I think uh, we tend to, to overvalue is like how much we can anticipate. Because I think for me, it starts with this, like the injury issues are a real concern. Like that's like step number one is the injury issues are a real concern. And we just don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie in the future because he's had so many different injuries that are significant, especially with the knee. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is this is a guy that literally said, I don't want to compete for championships with the greatest player in a generation. (laughs) That's what I said at the time of the trade. I'm right there with you. He walked away from LeBron James. And you can talk about how much sense it made and the bravery of that decision. Um, and betting on yourself and valuing what you want in life. And those are all real-life concerns. And then those are all valid opinions in my, and from my viewpoint. At the same time, he walked away from LeBron James. Like, he, he made that decision. And anybody who does that— In his prime, or not even, arguably. Yeah, yeah. and anybody who does that uh, is thinking a little bit— is thinking so far outside the box that I think it's difficult to say that we can predict what they're going to say. And so a lot of it comes down to, you know, look, part of it too is, is you know, there was talk about sacrifice all this year and like how much Kyrie sacrificed. Kyrie sacrificed the first month 
And then there were a lot of signs that he went back to doing what he does. And Stevens can build around that, and that'll be fine. And Stevens values what he can do on his own. That can be fine. But there is a question of, like, is that what Kyrie wants? Does Kyrie like Boston? You know, how much is he like Boston as much as he thought he would? Like, there are all these questions that we don't have the answers to. And there's time to figure them out. Um, I tend to still, if you ask me, like, I, I get a lot of these gun-to-your-head questions about free agency. And my response is always, like, like what would you say if gun-to-your-head? And I'm always like, well, now I would start begging for my life and talking about my family and how much I can. Like, <laughs> that's a bad hypothetical, right? But said, like, you've got to make a decision on, on what you think will happen. I think Kyrie probably stays because Ainge did go all out for him. He went – he didn't go all out for Paul George. He didn't go all out for Jimmy Butler. He went all out for Kyrie Irving. And I think at some level that they'll be willing to build around him in a way that is conducive to whatever it is that Kyrie wants. Well, here's one angle I just kind of keep coming back to, and I, I don't think it's a problem. I'll preface by saying that because it's just a different dynamic, coach and player. And there was never a real coach in Cleveland, or at least not one that LeBron was afraid to undermine or something like that. And, you know, with Kyrie Irving, you can kind of follow suit to a certain degree. As you noted, I mean, he wanted wanted out of Cleveland for all the reasons that he outlined, but also in part, if we're going by what he said, because he wanted a team to be his. He's the best player on this team. But to me, and maybe you disagree, it's still Brad Stevens' team. Kyrie may be the face or the name, and he's certainly the guy on the court, but it's Brad's team. Is that good enough, or is that kind of another wrinkle that maybe gets in the way for Kyrie? Yeah, and I think that that's one where Stevens has done everything he can to fight that. And that's like when we start talking about Brad Stevens and people say, what do you think of Stevens? The starting thing, the first thing I always say, people will suggest that I say he's overrated, and that's not true. My first thing I say is the most impressive thing about him is how much credit he gives the players because he knows if he takes credit for it, that's when tension starts. And I've seen this. There are coaches that have claimed credit for success, and the minute you start doing that, the players are like, you're not out there doing it. I'm out there doing it. And that gets real tense. So the fact that Stevens doesn't ever take credit for things, I think helps in this capacity. But there is a narrative, and there will continue to be a narrative uh, based off of how the media reacts to Stevens, that when they succeed, it's going to talk about how great Stevens is. And if he hears that, that can get to be a problem. Um, and so, and the other thing I think to keep in mind, when we talked about it being his team, the way that the system is set up, there's shared responsibility, mm-hmm. much like there is in Golden State, uh, and it works really well in Golden State, but those are different players. So the question is, is Kyrie going to be okay when, you know, it's Kyrie's team, but it's also Horford's team, and it's also Hayward's team. And now the final thing is, look, J- Jason Tatum showed in these playoffs like I said, I, I said on Twitter, I said, "Man, we're gonna see we're gonna see Jason Tatum score forty in a game within like the next four years." Like I know I said, like I was like, Jason Tatum could be the best player on the Celtics within the next four years. Hmm. And GMs were hitting me up, executives were hitting me up and being like, <laughs> "That's way too high." They're like, "That's that's too long." I would take the under on four years for him wow. being the best player on the Celtics. Like that's how much Tatum impressed. So I think that you know. How Kyrie reacts to that, I think, is going to be really interesting. And we're going to look, we're going to learn a lot about how much Kyrie values winning versus how much Kyrie values being the guy 
and that really shifts. And what's interesting is he's entering a, a time in his life where guys usually go from wanting the star power and the attention to wanting to win. Mm-hmm. But he has but, a ring and already wanted out of that situation. Yes, exactly. That's what's going to be fascinating as the thing goes forward. So, look, you believe he's going to be back. I believe he's going to be back. But Danny Ainge would never, ever, ever, or at least doesn't have a history of it, risk losing a guy like Irving or more specifically Kyrie Irving for nothing in free agency in a year if he believes that's actually a possibility. Is there any chance that Irving would take an extension now, given the medical history, even though it could cost him a boatload years later, uh, you know, over the course of the next several years, if he does have a great, healthy season? I got to tell you, I don't have the answer to that. And that's, I think you have to have, have intel on what Kyrie's thinking and what Kyrie's camp, including his dad, is thinking. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have more insight on what their part, because, you know, a lot of this, when these situations, it comes down to how does, how aware is a player of their injury concerns? Because some guys ignore them and they're like, no, look, I have the injuries, I'm past them, whatever. I'm like, I'm going to be fine. And some guys are smart enough to know, like, I better take this money now because if I get another one, I'm going to be strong. So uh, how he re- – like, he have to know – you have to know, one, his medical history, and two, a sense for how he reacts to that to be able to answer it. I just tend to think that um, Kyrie seems like a guy that's bet on himself. And if you bet on yourself, you're going to exert the most leverage. And even though Kyrie walked away from LeBron – uh, LeBron and Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade and this generation of stars has set a precedent, which is, and you're seeing it now in conversations that are coming out about how Chris Paul wants a max out of Houston. Um, their their standard is you have to pay the best players the most and don't take a dime to sacrifice because the owners made the choice in the CBA to limit how much they can make. Get yours. Uh, and I think that's going to weigh heavily in terms of like if you in the league, if you want that positioning, that star power, that identity that Kyrie Irving really sought, you have to get paid like it. And so taking anything less than the most money he can make, I think is is kind of a is going to be a non-starter. Doesn't that kind of fly in the face of what we're seeing in Golden State right now, at least to some degree? I know Steph got his money, but KD, and maybe foolishly so, has taken a little bit of a step back. Others may have to in the future if they actually want to stay together. Yeah, and I think Clay's another guy is probably going to sacrifice. But Clay also got his one max deal um, off of it, and then Draymond got his max deal. So, like, guys have gotten paid at a, at a real high level. Um, and I think that that situation is hard to replicate and it's hard to kind of identify because those are very specific personalities. It's what makes Golden State so special is who they are. Now, Kyrie Irving could wind up being like, if let's say that they, let's say they go absolutely just bonkers next year and they meet every expectation and they hit, you know, they, they hit every marker um, and they make the finals and win or not. And Kyrie realizes this is a special situation. This is where I want to be. That's where, all right, maybe I'll take less. But in that situation, it's going to be his choice about taking less rather than uh, it being in conversation about what he needs to do. Would, 
I guess what I'm wondering is, would Danny Ainge let it get to a point where a deal hasn't worked out this offseason and you're coming up on the trade deadline? What if he doesn't have that gut feeling one way or the other about which way Kyrie's going to go come free agency? Does he ride that out? Does he feel like he has to ride that out given what he gave up to get him in the first place and given the talent that he has despite the injury history and all of that? Or does Danny do what Danny has done? I think a lot of it depends on what's out there. Is, you know, if, if you get to that point and, like, there's an ongoing tension with Kawhi Leonard and he's still available a year from now, which would be shocking. But if that were to be the case, okay, maybe maybe start talking about that. Um, if, you know, everything seems like the, like the Pelicans are going to keep Anthony Davis forever right now coming off this great playoff run. But that situation sours and Davis is available. All right. Now you have more options. Um, so we, we tend to think of things in terms of what GMs want. And GMs, in my experience, tend to think more in terms of what's available. What are our options? What are the things? Because you can't – it does take two to tango. You have to have another interested party. If there's a star available that he feels he can build around to the same degree and that he doesn't think Irving's going to be back – then, yeah, he'll probably look at that. But I think that a default for him, given how he's approached the situation, which is like he landed Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah was amazing and wonderful, but it was always like a blessing that, that worked out. Mm-hmm. This was a choice that he made to build around Irving. And I think he's, he'll always lean towards, I think, wanting to make that work before pursuing any other path. So most people expect LeBron James to leave Cleveland. I'm not sure exactly how you feel about it. Uh, Where do you land? I I did see, and I I found this interesting because as someone who follows and admittedly is a fan of the Celtics, this is my biggest fear, the idea of him going to Philadelphia, you don't seem too high on that possibility. I don't, um, but this is a lot of me thinking through what I think versus the intel that you get because – there's a lot of reasons to believe that the intel suggests that that Philadelphia is a real possibility. Um, that's not just based off of reports or what you're hearing league wide or the betting market and how it's reflected. That mm. it's um, you know that there's there's a, a genuine sense there that that could happen. Um, my concern is this: James is 34, and I keep coming back to the idea of there's a reason that when superstars are available in free agency, they talk about teaming up, but they talk about teaming up with guys of their own age, mm-hmm. of their own age group, because they want to be, it, the age gaps in a locker room are always really significant and they're noticeable. Like you just, it's always evident when you have old guys and younger guys. And so I think about LeBron James at 34 years old, choosing to go to, to a team where he's going to have to spend 12 hours a day for 10 months of the year around a bunch of 19 to 23 year olds <laughs> and what my life would be like if I was going to work every day with a bunch of 19 to 23 year olds <laughs> and how much that would drive me absolutely insane. Because if we're talking about quality of life, which is a lot of his decision, like LeBron's not LeBron's playing for a championship, but in LeBron's mind, anywhere he goes, he's playing for a championship. Mm-hmm. And he has reason to believe that he just dragged this crap ass Cavalier team to the finals. So, he, he has confidence he can go anywhere and pull them to at least a finals appearance, at least in the East, um, no matter what happens with Boston or anybody else. So then it becomes about quality of life, and that's where Los Angeles comes into play uh, and these kind of things. I think if basketball is the primary thing that he's looking at, 
Houston makes the most sense for him because of he gets to play with Chris Paul and James Harden, two guys, two guys that are Harden's younger, but he's more of a contemporary, and there's not as much of a learning curve. And it would just shock me if James were to say, I want to go through all of the learning curve that I had to go through in 2014, 2015, which drove him insane, and do that all over again with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Dario Saric and those guys. So I would be pretty surprised if he went to Philadelphia. But like I said, there are a lot of indications that it remains on the table. I guess the thing that only gives me pause about Houston and, and has the more I've thought about it is, you know, it's all well and good to go and have that level of talent and sort of a new three-headed monster, and we've seen him do that in the past multiple times at this point. But if you go there, that would be the first time in his career, I feel, that he would have someone that close to his level if he's playing alongside a James Harden. And could that be a problem, or is that a benefit? Uh, it's an interesting question to ask kind of through that lens of, is LeBron ready to transition to a new stage in his career? Uh, and it's the to me, that's maybe from a basketball perspective, the most driving question. Because if he goes to Philadelphia, guess what, Ben Simmons? You're now a screen-and-roll guy. Like, <laughs> your, your life is radically different. LeBron's not setting screens for Ben Simmons. Um, but if he goes to Houston, there's probably going to be an indication from him of, you know what, I've played this many minutes. And this, this is like real minute stuff, but everyone talks about the wear and tear. One of the most draining things in NBA is just bringing the ball up the floor. It's just you're getting dogged by a defender. You're getting picked up at, at half court. It's all these little seconds of time where you are the guy with the ball and you're being attacked. That's why you're seeing, as you've seen in the Eastern Conference Finals and Finals, how often they'll run sets with LeBron literally just hanging out at half court and chilling because mm. he's just saving his body from having to, to go through the focus and, and time of dribbling and dealing with the defender on him. The so, famous Brian Windhorst resting on the floor column. Yeah. So if he goes if he goes to Houston, um, to me it's an indication that he's willing to say, you know what, I'm ready to transition. I'm bigger now. I'm not as fast as I used to be. Still very very fast. Um, and it, what's interesting too is they've started to run more stuff with him as a role man in Cleveland than they did when Kyrie was there. George Hill and he have actually they have a little, they have a set that they run that just destroys teams where they run side pick and roll with it cleared out and it creates a nightmare for the opponent trying to keep track of, of James and the ball handler. And so if you put Harden or Paul in that situation, it creates an almost unstoppable dynamic. And, and we've seen James work a little bit more out of the post this year, these little shifts in his game back to being more of the forward aspect. I call him an Omega forward. <laughs> he does absolutely like he's the end point of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but these little shifts towards the forward end of his spectrum, to me, could indicate that he's willing to make that change. If he is, it's going to save his body, and it makes it somewhere like Houston being uh, more uh, agreeable to how he's going to transition into the last part of his career. All right, so we've done LeBron, Sixers, LeBron, Rockets. I've been hesitating for good reason, I think, to even do this, but we kind of have to at least for a couple of minutes, and that is the fact that Stephen A. Smith floated out the, I don't know if it's a rumor, if it's just his belief, whatever it is, you can give me whatever insight you have that LeBron James is going to meet with seven teams, a couple of the ones we already included, some other interesting ones, I suppose, like the Warriors, but most notably around here, the Celtics. 
Is that a conversation that is actually going to take place, and should it? I'll tell you this. Um, so with Stephen A., there's a perception that kind of on the outside, uh, and then I'll, and I, I used to buy into that same perception of, of him, you know, as just this the talking head and the guy that yells and all that stuff. Uh, and then I went to All Star one year, and I went to All Star and I saw we're at this media scrum and it's a, it's a zoo if you've ever been like it's just a zoo. Mm. There's like hundreds of people wandering around and there's foreign. Uh, correspondents and they're lost and don't know what they're doing and then there's all, all beat writers and everyone's hustling and the TV people are just like knocking everyone out of the way to try and get a single soundbite and then I, I, I'm on my way out and uh, Dwayne Wade's walking in and Stephen A. Smith is there and Wade sees Stephen A. Smith and he stops cold and breaks stride in the middle of the zoo with all these people like clamoring for attention <laughs> and goes over to embrace Stephen A. And talk with him. And it was at that moment that I realized, like, oh, like, we don't understand, like, anything about the about how this works. Um, and <laughs> so that was, like, a moment of real clarity of, oh, that's how, like, this is how Stephen A. was able to, to call LeBron going to Miami before it happened, was the guy has a completely different relationship with superstars than, than we might think, given how much he yells about them on morning television. Um, I say all this to say basically that if Stephen A. says that there's going to be a meeting, there's probably going to be a meeting. Um, there'll be that conversation. Now, the difference is, look, in 2010, he met with the, the Knicks, and he met with the Clippers before the Clippers were, were not the, the Clippers of old anymore. Um, and so if he's going to take meetings, he's going to have a series of teams that he'll actually talk to. But I think that I think those meetings will probably not be heavily publicized. And I think that it won't be like, you won't be able to tag, oh, he's meeting with Danny Ainge. I'm not sure that'll get out. I think Ainge will keep it on the download because he knows how much it would upset kind of the balance of the team um, if that gets to be publicized. So I, I think that there probably will be a conversation. I think it'll probably be a pretty quick one. Um, I think James knows... I don't think I think James very much has a has a personal uh, vendetta against Boston. Understandably, like he that team is, has been his nemesis, and he takes special joy in punishing them. That's one of the reasons <laughs> he's been so spectacular there. So um, I have a hard time seeing that thing that meeting being any more than perfunctory. I think that there's enough respect between the two sides to have a conversation. I just don't think it'll actually lead anywhere. For fun, put a percentage on it. LeBron to the Celtics. Ooh. Uh, let's say 20%. That's a lot higher than I thought you were going to say. 20%. Well, here's, 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 here's why. You know, at the end of it is, one, I don't like to assume that I know what LeBron's thinking. I just don't think it's a bad plan. Two, um, if he's serious about contending for titles, nobody gives him a better chance than the Celtics. They're, they're deeper. They have star power. It's sustainable. They have great players. It's in the East, so he can still make the finals. Like, there's a, there's a million reasons 
that makes sense from a basketball perspective. It's everything else that where it gets tricky. All right, but so knowing that this team, it's not like the last two summers where there's cap space. There's nothing available in that sense. So you're talking sign and trade. You're moving pieces. You've got Kyrie Irving already, who we already talked about it at length, wanted to get away from LeBron in one situation, probably wouldn't be too enthusiastic about being with him again. What does this team look like in this pretend universe where this happens? I, I I can't believe we're having this conversation. I, I guess. <laughs> well, but I'm with you. I'm sure you've seen no, my I know, Twitter I know, feed. It's crazy, but but again, I I I don't like to be the person that's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Because I and part of it's like I've I've been been that guy before. I was like, that's not going to happen. And then like, oh, it happened. Oh, well, that was okay. me with Kyrie Irving going to the Celtics. I didn't yeah, think there was a so, chance. So I think um, probably what it looks like is Hayward probably gets traded, which. Given Danny traded Isaiah Thomas after the injury, would not be a great look. Um, but that's probably how it goes. If Hayward, if Hayward gets traded to clear space, and then you you move whatever auxiliary contracts you have to in order to just slot him in. Um, alternatively, I, I suppose you could trade Horford. Um, that's another option to go that route. Like the, one of the things that would be easier for Boston is, yeah, they're capped, but they're capped with good players. Like, a lot of teams are cast with guys that you can't move. You can't move those contracts. And the Celtics have players that are, are actually worth their value in contracts. So they could actually probably trade them if it came to that. Um, I don't have any sort of indication that this will get to this point. The other thing I would say is um, I have a feeling this might get resolved before July 1 because I think the most likely scenario is him opting in and constructing a trade. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then there's not going to be meetings. There's not going to be the big to-do like there was for the decision. Um, it's just going to be he figures out what he wants, he contacts that team, they make the space and do the deal, and that's it. What – I'm just sort of thinking all this out, obviously, and, and, and for a bunch of different reasons. The idea of trading Gordon Hayward to me, who I guess previous to this conversation would be considered the biggest free agent signing in the history of the Celtics, the relationship with Brad Stevens coming in doesn't effectively Mm -hmm. play at all year one. To me, I almost view him as untouchable, only in the sense that it would be such a bad look to move him in the wake of everything that I kind of already went over there and, and that you acknowledged as well. But Putting that aside, I mean, if you're bringing in LeBron James, I mean, aren't you alienating Kyrie Irving? Aren't you effectively saying a year from now Kyrie is gone and, and we're hoping that LeBron is sticking around for more than a few years or at least a few years? I think you're probably trying to shoot the gap and win 18, right? Like you're just trying to trying to win right now. Um, you're also trying to believe that maybe Stevens can repair the relationship and, and that they'll get past it, um, you know, and, and Kyrie – as a professional, I have a hard time seeing it being where Kyrie would outright say, like, no, I won't play. Like, that's like, I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, at, at that point, I think that you are able to kind of finagle things. I suppose there is the possibility of trading Kyrie and going that route to add another player. Um, you know, it it's, gets weird at that point um, in a lot of ways, but – and this is why I think a lot of this is like Andrews has to be very careful with this. Like if he's interested in this, he's going to be very, very careful. I think he has to be interested because it's LeBron James, and he just he, like all the rules go out the window when you have a chance to sign LeBron. That's just how it is because he's the best player of a generation. Um, but do you think that's how? Uh, uh, not to I'll, cut I'll you off, this. but well, go ahead. I'll say this: I was surprised when the meeting 
when, when, when Smith re- reported that. And the reason I was surprised is Ainge has been all about sustainability. Like, it goes against everything that Ainge has done and built and constructed. Um, and I wonder how much of that was, like, LeBron's willing to take the meeting and how much of it is Boston wants the meeting. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's incredibly fair because there are – I'm sure you've – seen a lot of the conversation that's out there on social media and it's and it's easy to to be a big tough guy on social media as we all know than than it is to anticipate what your feelings truly would be in the event that a, a certain reality takes place but there are a lot of C's fans that that have you know hated this guy for a decade he's the arch nemesis we don't want anything to do with him here i would stop rooting for the celtics if they acquired lebron you know there, there's that end of the spectrum or there's just the people and, and this side of it i get i think the people that just say lebron screw him pass like that doesn't make sense to me the people that i do understand and i'm in this camp is you'd rather take your chance continuing on this road where you feel like you're already in the conversation you're not still building toward it you're in it and you have the hope of contending you know being the spurs contending for maybe a decade if all goes well and and your guys develop the way that you believe they're going to develop and the health of the guys coming back and all of that versus shortening your window bringing in the mercenary and all of a sudden you have the lebron what some view around here at least stain on things versus the organic to some degree build of what Danny has done so far. What do you make of just the conversation, the dialogue that's out there about the, the idea of LeBron winning a title in Boston? I think it's, I, I understand it. Like I understand it completely. It's why, again, like I'm surprised that this is how this worked out. Um, you know, I haven't had time to float this by executives or talk about what they think about the idea of, of LeBron to Boston. Uh, I try and be, I've learned in my time covering the league to not dismiss ideas that are floated because I would have dismissed the idea of, of Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and LeBron joining a super team. Mm. I would have dismissed the idea of LeBron returning to Cleveland after everything that happened. And I definitely dismissed the idea of Kevin Durant joining a 73-win team mm-hmm. that he was up 3-1 on. This league continues to surprise me. That said... Uh, there are two teams in the NBA, and only two, that can legitimately say we don't need LeBron. Only two. And it's the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. Those are the only two teams that can understandably, honestly say we don't need LeBron. Because they would be good enough next year, regardless of where he goes, to beat him, which they have not done since 2010. But they can do it next year with the amount of talent that they have. They took them to seven this year without the two best players. They get those guys back. Their young guys get another year on them. They will be good enough to beat him next year. Um, So I think the feeling of why disrupt everything, because part of it is, you know, they've built this great culture with Stevens and, and Ainge and the shared responsibility and everybody buying in and the concept of sacrifice that goes out the window when you have LeBron because LeBron, and it's not a, a thing about him. It's not. It's not that he's selfish or this like terrible person or dominant. It's just that the most pressure is on him, and he's the best player alive. And that so that comes with responsibility that he has to carry, which means that he dominates the conversation and you shape everything around him. But that warps your organization, and the Heat experienced that. 
and the Cavs are, have embraced that chaos. <laughs> and I don't think that that's part of what Boston's culture wants. And I don't have faith that they can that they can withstand the hurricane winds that he brings in. So there's real risks to bringing him in. I think it's, it would be a mistake to bring in LeBron James, which is an insane thing to say, but something I think is honestly true. Well, I think one of the really interesting things about it around here and and look the there have been mistakes made in Miami certainly in Cleveland when it comes to front offices and in the case of Cleveland not only management but head coach and all of that you would be putting him in a structure where I mean Boston is as good a run organization as there is maybe in sports let alone the NBA from that ownership to Danny Ainge to Brad Stevens hierarchy that exists I guess I'm skeptical LeBron even being LeBron and all that comes with LeBron and everything he identified that he could come in and wholeheartedly disrupt that and that he would leave them in just utter kind of chaos the the way that that you know Miami was left in shambles that Cleveland will be and has been left in shambles well, I, I I just I, I I find that hard to believe I think well one I would say that Miami wasn't left in shambles because you know, we tend to identify the encore product sure. with the culture, and it's just not true. No, that's true. And the, the Chris Bosh injury is, you know, couldn't yeah, have been anticipated. So, like, so that's that's is, true. Like, is like the Heat still have a really strong culture. Eric Spolstra still has a really good hold on that program. Um, you know, Andy Ellsberg is still running a really good a really good system of of in the front office. Like the Heat are fine. The Cavs were never fine. The Cavs weren't fine from the start. <laughs> they were rifling through through GMs. They were rifling through coaches. Like, this hasn't been a well-run organization. And, you know, a lot of that just comes down to ownership. And the Boston Celtics have great ownership. And so I don't think that LeBron will come in there and leave that team in shambles because they have great coaching. They have great front office. They have excellent ownership. Like, they'd be fine. If he, if he came in and, and they competed for a year and then he left, like, they'd be fine. There wouldn't be any sort of long-term damage. Um, I don't think. Well, depending however, on what you have to part with, there could be. Right, not not to the even, culture, but to the to what you have on your roster. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're you're more talking about you could wind up building your way up to this point, and then you add LeBron, and then it's all of a sudden it's like it didn't work, um, and you gave up things that would have worked for more long term. Like there's a lot. There are way more reasons this is this is an insane conversation that there are that there are it's the same one. There's just way more reasons to believe this won't happen. I mean. From LeBron's perspective, you know, it, he's kind of bulletproof at this point, but joining your lifetime rival is a weird look. It's just an odd one, and it's never going to be his team, and it would be uh, it, it would be even more of a mercenary look than joining the Lakers or the Rockets, and that's a very weird thing to say, but it's true, um, especially because he beat that team, but it would just feel like a very mercenary move. Um, it means a reunite, a, a reunion with Kyrie, who obviously that relationship has not been repaired. Um, it's not a great, it's just not a great fit on a basketball level. Like, there's no reason that this makes sense. I'm okay with discussing it in in the in the idea of it being possible, because again, like I've just learned to have a lot of respect for how Stephen A. is plugged in. Um, regardless of his on, on-screen persona. But that doesn't mean that I think that this is likely to occur, just as I don't believe there's any real reason to think that he's going to join Golden State. 
So let's uh, a couple more things. Let's talk about the Warriors here, uh, just from this standpoint. And you've actually written very recently about how you think the it's it's a weird dynamic there right now. Not necessarily the end is near or anyone's unhappy or anything like that, but it's a weird dynamic. And Kevin Durant said uh, just in in the last however many days that he wasn't wowed by the Tom Brady being part of the Celtics pitch thing. Somehow this came up again, and he alluded to his focus being more about basketball. But let's just pretend. Let's pretend he chose Boston two summers ago with his buddy Al Horford. What would this team look like right now? Obviously no Gordon Hayward, we know that. But would the Kyrie Irving deal have happened? Would it still be, I don't know, Isaiah Thomas or somebody else anyway because that injury was still coming down the pike in all likelihood? Or And would they be better off with a Kevin Durant, who's clearly one of the top players in the world? Or has the way everything has played out been for the better? How do you view that? Um, I think probably the team looks a lot different. Uh, I think probably, you know, I think if, if KD's in Boston, um, they probably lose to the Cavs in 2016-17. Um, and then at that point, I think probably the Kyrie trade still goes down because I just don't think Ainge was ever going to pay Isaiah what he knew that Isaiah was going to get a payday and he knew he could get Irving and he'd still have the assets. So I tend to think that it's, it's a, you know, there's a chaos effect here and that you can't predict what would happen, but, um, I do think that probably Kyrie's on the team and they probably don't take. They probably don't take Tatum, so they look elsewhere in the draft. And that's, like, where the interesting questions come in is how the rest of the roster look. Um, but, I mean, I think that they're the dominant force in the Eastern Conference, and they probably – I mean, they, they beat this Cavs team. They, they obliviate. <laughs> they just destroy this Cavs team. Uh, and they probably drive LeBron to the West because KD and the Celtics are probably going to own the East for the foreseeable future. Well, and obviously the Warriors aren't the Warriors at that point either, which is another uh, aspect of things. All right, I'll wrap up with this because Celtics fans really want to know, especially those who follow you on uh, Twitter, why do you hate the Celtics so much? Yeah, (laughs) good question. Uh, Never-ending, right? No, and, you know, I think there's a fair – I I love Celtics writers as part of it. The Celtics have such a great writing community. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes from, like, the big star guys like Chris Mannix to – the, the beat writers like Jay King and, and Wester Holm to the bloggers, like the guys at Celtics blog and the guys at Red's Army. Like there's just a, a, an unbelievable amount of talented writers in Boston. It's one of my favorite writing communities. I get smart stuff every time I read out of there. Um, I think my issue tends to be that uh, because of how much media is located in that part of the country and because of a preference towards dynasties and particularly this uh, dynastic franchise, we tend to overstate things. And I'm a guy that um, I get mistaken for contrarian. I'm not contrarian. I'm trying to find an equilibrium. I'm an equilibriumist. So I'm trying to discover, okay, Brad Stevens is not the greatest coach of all time, but <laughs> we could find somewhere where he's appropriately valued. And if the conversation were to shift, and if Stevens, let's say Stevens had gotten had lost in the first round or something disastrous had happened. Like, I mean, that could have happened versus the Bucks. There would have been conversations about, is Brad Stevens overrated? Is he even a good coach? He hasn't made it. Like, and I would have probably at that point switched and been like, no, look, <laughs> the Celtics team did not have two of its best players. Let's cut them some slack and realize what Stevens built this year was amazing. I'm always trying to find an equilibrium. 
And then the problem is that because the Celtics have so much conversation, it's harder to find that equilibrium than it is with other teams. There's not a lot of conversation about the Bucks, so I don't have to worry. Like, I'm not trying to, to find the equilibrium with the Bucks because there's not as much talk about them. It's pretty easy to find the equilibrium with, with where the uh, with where the Bucks are. But with the Celtics, that's kind of where I wind up uh, having some tension with fans and stuff. And I'll admit this. Their fans are super aggressive, to their credit. I love how much they love their team. I love how smart they are. But they're super aggressive, and there are times when I'm like, you know what, screw you. How about this? And so uh, that's part of the fun of Twitter, but you have to keep it calm and, and, and keep it in perspective and always realize that you know it's a great franchise and they're going great places, and I expect them to absolutely dominate the East the next three years. All right, Matt Moore from the Action Network does a great job. Follow him on Twitter. He will read your tweets. He will write you back, all of it, and plenty of great commentary throughout, of course, over the last, uh, boy, almost an hour that we've spent. Matt, thank you so much. Anytime, man. Take care. All right, thanks again to Matt. I I really and truly hope you listened to the entire thing because there was so much there to that conversation, so many different talking points that we can build off of over the course of this offseason and the future of this team. Matt is not a guy that should be taken lightly, incredibly plugged in, which is why he has the Twitter following that he does and writes the type of content that he does. It's stuff that's always worth paying attention to, and there's a ton, a ton there that should be considered. But because we've been at it a while, going to get out of here. Episode 266 featuring the Action Network's Matt Moore, powered by Casper. Go to casper.com slash Celtics. Use the promo code Celtics for $50 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks again to Matt, everybody involved at CLNS Media. And once again, subscribe to Celtics Beat on iTunes. Give me a follow at Adam M. Kaufman. We'll keep the conversation going, and I will try, I will try, I promise, to stop annoying you about this LeBron devil's advocate thing that... I've been at for the last however many days. All right, Gino, take us out of here. 